I've got a special porridge routine. <laughs> This is Aga and Łukasz, and this is Catching the Next Wave podcast, where we discuss the future of design. And much more. An actress, a singer, and a speaker. Our today's guest, Kasia Santis-Perczyńska, is a great example of daring. Kasia received a classical vocal performance education in Poland and then decided to pack her bags and conquer New York. She studied there for two years at the Professional Conservatory of Musical Theatre at New York Film Academy. Her big screen debut took place in October 2019 during New York Chelsea Film Festival in the original movie musical American Dreamin', starring next to Tia McCarton, Orange is the New Black, and Brian O'Brien, Beauty and the Beast and Chicago. New York or Chicago? New York, all right. Okay. <laughs> oh, you're confusing everybody. She performed at Carnegie Hall and at Banquet Hall at Hotel Plaza in New York City. Not once she sang the national anthems of Poland and the United States. I am not going to mention all the amazing performances and theatrical roles she played because this intro would never end. Next to it all, Kasia is an awardee of Iconic Leader Creating a Better World for All Received during the 25th Women Economic Forum in New Delhi and the second prize winner of a competition organized during the event Life Without Limits that granted her friend's dad a prosthesis for his leg. She had an honor to sing in front of 30,000 audience. Kasia, so awesome to have you with us today and I'm so happy that we finally have a first Polish female guest. Thank you so much for inviting me. <laughs> Kasia, from Skoroszyce, which is probably something that nobody apart from Poles is able to say, to New York City. Poles C- don't know about this. I mean, some of them do, obviously, but most of the people, they're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, okay. a, it's a small village. Yeah. So from Skoroszyce to New York with a stopover in Cornwall, right? Yeah. Could you tell a bit of that story to us? Oh my God, we're not going to finish in an hour and a half. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I always thought uh, you only live once and it's so important to have no regrets. It so often happens that what stops us most is what other people say, what other people think of us, what's going to be the reaction for whatever we're doing. And I believe that others are guests in my life and the older I am, (laughs) the more I really feel, yes, treat them with respect because they're guests, but well, you're in the driver's seat and in a year or two, they're not going to remember, but you might have your life ruined by the decisions you've made based on somebody else's opinion. So not letting anybody else be in your driver's seat, basically, is um, what led me to do pretty much all I've done. I mean, obviously, with the support of all the wonderful people that have been next to me. Okay, but if you were not influenced by anyone, you would stay in Skoroszice. So someone or something pulled you out of there somehow, right? Hmm, that's interesting, because I always had this drive in me. I was born there and it's a nice 
picturesque village. But I, I've always felt like going places. Like I couldn't stay. I, I always felt like bigger, more. The world is so much, it's, it's indescribable. <laughs> I remember the first time I went abroad to earn for my living, for my studies. And the second time, because the first time was Netherlands and the second time was Cornwall. I felt better and better by the pictures I saw, by the new places, by the new people, by the new cultures, by just going into other environments and knowing them from how it is, not from the stories, not from the films, but from literally sitting at the dining table with Cornish people, having the meal prepared by them with their hospitality and wonderful, warm-hearted welcome. Those moments, especially now in COVID, when we can't travel, these moments, just remembering about them, it's something that keeps us going, keeps me going. I feel so grateful then. And mm. when you're grateful, like gratitude and fear, they don't go together. So either you're grateful or you're fearful. So I choose being grateful. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so you moved from Skoroszyce to Nysa. That was high school. So Nysa was high school. And I had to move to the dormitory because I had normal school and music school. Before there would be like teachers or brothers, people who would take me to my music school and drive me back. But uh, you don't want to be like somebody's... Obviously, I wasn't a burden, but I mm. like to be independent. I don't like to be like... So um, from the early age... <laughs> <no>. <laughs> I'm like, wow. So I moved to the dormitory and it was life-changing because having high school and dormitory at the same place and then having like the big concert aula with the piano just for myself at 9 p.m. <laughs> That's a dream. That's a dream. <laughs> okay, so, so yeah. you, you were basically uh, singing lullabies for everybody in the dormitory, right? <laughs> <laughs> and playing, yeah. <laughs> no, it was really great. And then in the morning I could wake up at... 7.30 and still make it to class. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was pretty much my experience when I was a student. My oh, first yeah. <laughs> uh, student dormitory was really close to where I was studying. Okay, but so this drive for exploring places, that was somehow in your genes, it seems. Where did the music come from? Also genes or family? Hmm. I felt at home in music school. Mm-hmm. So before music school, I would sing. I would have this something for crafts, for painting, for playing piano a little bit, for singing a little bit. Like it was everywhere around me. They say I'm an old soul. So it's like <laughs> I love going deep with the growth. I feel like growth is the biggest passion that I've got. And then with Nissa, my math teacher who also taught me piano before I went to music school. He directed my mom toward the music school in Nessa. There I played clarinet first. So it was clarinet and piano. And, and then, then double um, bass and then saxophone. <laughs> <laughs> and the trumpet. <laughs> I tried. <laughs> and then the, the second, it's like a primary and secondary, the music school in, in, in Poland. So the secondary music school I thought about clarinet, but my choir teacher, she asked me to sing like a vocalize for like one of the competitions with the whole choir. And then the singing teacher actually approached me and asked me, could she like check my voice because she heard me singing. So I, to be honest, haven't thought of going into singing myself. 
but they actually pulled me out of the instrumental. And the choir teacher, I remember, she also said, don't go there, just go there. I feel you belong more in that direction. Yeah, and then we just picked it from there. The clarinet teacher wasn't happy. (laughs) Obviously. (laughs) (laughs) On the final exam, I could say (laughs) that... No, I wasn't too happy. But that was the beginning of me learning that craft, actually. But then choosing classical vocal performance, it's not the easiest of choices, I'd say. I never went for the easiest. I'm just afraid, like, you know, this whole conversation will be, how about this? Well, it just happened to me. And this just happened to me. (laughs) No, there were some challenges. Yeah, but, you know, the choices are kind of made by the cosmos for her. But I'm sorry, I digress. God, it's it's looking after me. (laughs) But I never went for the easy. And it's it's with me. And sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. Some people tell me that if you tell yourself that it has to be hard, it's going to be hard. At the same time, if I were to choose something that's easy, usually the things that come to me that I can get them very quickly, I don't appreciate them so much. And the things that I strive for I think I chose voice because voice as an instrument is infinite. And to think about it, obviously, like you can play a number of things on the piano and violin is very close to voice because you actually don't have the division. Mm -hmm. It's, It's smooth. But voice is the limitations, even though you have the division for different voices, like you have bass, you have mezzo, you have soprano, you have tenor, you have different female and male voices. And there is this division, but I know people who went contradictory to the divisions and have a really big scale because in some point they didn't stop. And the moment when I allow myself not to limit myself here, the moment I here showing at the head, yeah, pointing at the head, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) here pointing at the head and up hard, (laughs) but honestly, like the heart and the head, anything is possible with voice. It's an instrument that you can explore your whole life and still die and feel. Like you haven't explored the whole thing. It's something that makes me want to more, mm-hmm. you know, Okay. in that direction. But I would like to dig deeper into why classical. <laughs> um, I have to think, you know, all of these questions, they make me reflect on my life. Why classical? Uh, I think classical because I was also taught that ballet is for dance as classical is for any other genre of singing. Mm, And so I thought starting from classical would put me on a good side of the singing. So I would have the foundations as the voice is concerned. Did it turn to be true? In in your opinion? (laughs) Hmm... Well-taught classical, yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And this takes a particular kind of teacher. Mm. It sounds like you had to 
undo part of your training at some point in time? Well, there's been ups and downs mm -hmm. and it's not been an easy way. And at the moment, I am in the moment of time, as I speak it, when I focus on healing these parts because they block me from reaching my full potential. Mm -hmm. So this is not easy. Vulnerability is strength and there is no courage without vulnerability. Only fake courage can be achieved without vulnerability. But to be able to be completely vulnerable, one has to be completely truthful and honest within him or herself. And this takes courage to come back to the past and clear the wounds so they don't soak any longer, but they can be healed. Mm -hmm. And the scars remain, but it's different when you touch a scar and when you touch a, a soaky wound. Mm -hmm. Actually, that reminds me of our conversation during the European Vocal Camp where we met, when we were talking about singing with technique versus singing with emotion. Mm. And when you talk about touching a wound versus touching a scar, I think that when you touch a scar, you're able to evoke emotion. And when you touch a wound, you block the emotion because it hurts. It just hurts too much. And I would like to dig mm -hmm. a little bit into this differentiation between singing with emotion versus singing with technique. I know that this is not one or the other. Absolutely not. Mm -hmm. However, as I am listening more consciously to music, I realize that I am able to forgive lack of technique. I am not quite able to forgive as easily lack of emotion. Absolutely. How do you see that? I wrote a piece on what's the magic in the theater. There were different little chapters in this big chapter that I wrote to a book about musical theater. But what you're saying, I said, people will pay for you to make them feel, but only few would pay for you to watch you being perfect on the stage and nothing more. For me, technique is important because if you do eight shows a week on Broadway and you have no technique, likely your voice will be ruined sooner or later. So technique is the foundation and you gotta nail it. But in order to be able to pour your emotions on top of the technique, that's when the work starts. So it's not like we wake up and we're ready to sing, but it's the hours of practice and beating on our craft, meaning we build the muscle memory. So, you know, the brain, the synapses, all of the connections that we build, we build new pathways. So I can, it, it's any instrument player as well, with the vocal is more untouchable, let's say. But still, we build that technique and once the muscle memory is there. And they say like a thousand times at least to repeat something and then you know you've got it. So think about the hours, right? To achieve that thing and then to start repeating it correctly a thousand mm. times. Really interesting. So once you have this technique, 
you pour the emotions on it. Like obviously you can you can sink with the emotions right away. But if your technique is wobbly, if you build a house and the foundation is not really standing well, then the house can fall over. When we're on the stage, we cannot be easily touched by something that is happening off the stage. I have heard about situations when someone uh, would take the phone up and start recording and the big star, well, you have kind of an allowance to break the performance and literally go and take the phone of that person if you're a big star. And I've heard about things like that happening in the theater. But more times than less, you've got to keep yourself there is the fourth wall, but you're not breaking it. Mm-hmm. You cannot be moved by somebody checking their phone. You cannot be distracted by somebody else sneezing or coughing or whatever else is happening in the theater, which I bet we will. We already miss so much. And <laughs> once we're there and we hear someone's coughing, I'm going to be like, yes, the audience is there. They're <laughs> coughing. <laughs> I'm literally like, you know... From this perspective of, oh, to the perspective of, yes, <laughs> I can hear them <laughs> coughing. Finally, <laughs> it's a beautiful feeling. <laughs> finally, the, the recording conditions are not perfect. <laughs> okay, you know. Yeah, it's just going to be so relieving to know that somebody's live listening and watching. <laughs> yeah, true. So how different the world's gonna be (laughs) when you are talking about this aspect of emotions it's one is that you need to be centered with yourself Mm -hmm. and in a way in agreement with yourself when you are performing so these things are not disturbing you or taking you out of your concentration but the other aspect is that you especially when you perform something on stage, like you said, Broadway or Carnegie Hall, you need to reach for some emotion. I have emotion. been off-Broadway, haven't been on Broadway yet. Off-Broadway, winning Off-Broadway, yeah, all right. <laughs> Either. <laughs> I think challenge there is similar. So you need to reach within your own emotions and pull them out so then the audience can connect to those emotions. This is freaking scary. Mm. You need to dare to actually be so damn vulnerable in front of so many people. Mm. How do you get there? What is the mental approach to doing this? And why? And Mm. why to do this in the first place? I miss it so much nowadays. I really like on Monday, I literally cried. I cry a lot because I miss it. I miss being vulnerable in front of the audience and I miss putting myself in this place I know it's not easy for one to go so deep to heal their own wounds. But I believe that once I go there, there is this thing that one person is sad, you can feel it. Once one person is happy, you can feel it. You kind of soak into the emotion of another person. And subconsciously, you might be able to at least a little bit touch that wound and maybe heal it in some sort of form. I think that's one of the things why I do it. I choose to be kind of naked and vulnerable on the stage. I don't want to say too much because to deal with one's emotions is in itself very brave. 
not everybody is ready to take on a therapy. It's, it's a stigma around that subject, unfortunately, still. So uh, theater is um, a smaller kind of therapy, let's say. And more and more the subjects touched in the shows are not so light or they may be wrapped around the light music. But if you really listen to the lyrics and the connection actors have between them and what's going on, actually after watching or in the process, you realize, the audience realize, oh, is it touching what I'm thinking it's touching? Am I feeling what I'm feeling? So actually there is this laughter, but there is this intimacy that you go out of the theater and if one is not brave enough or is not ready to talk with anyone else about something, because some can just simply not be ready and it's okay. It's okay not to be okay. It's okay to just feel it and to be with it. And it's okay to reach out for help also. But to just remain in this moment of, I feel there was something and that something touched my soul and I'm not quite sure. I'm going to think about it. And outside, sometimes I can laugh and I can be like, yeah, this moment was funny. But inside, there will be the second, uh, how to say, undercurrent surface. Uh, yeah, like something that is second surface, let's say. And you, you feel that something is bubbling there. And I think that's beautiful in theater. It just gives you this safe space to process your emotions without anyone else knowing. That's the perspective of the audience. But I'm curious about the perspective of you as a performer. You go there and you stay mm -hmm. naked with your emotions. How do you get <laughs> I put your... the audience on the priority. <laughs> <laughs> That's the priority. <laughs> But so many of us were trained to be ashamed to perform. We both had those terrible primary school situations where you are in your music class and you're asked to play oh, something or yeah. sing and then the teacher says like okay you're terrible and this is it like should a, not happen yeah so that so, just should not happen so like so many people are myself included by the way i'm so freaked out that i am to perform in front of somebody else that instead of focusing on the emotion that i try to convey i'm focusing on checking whether i'm doing the right job in their eyes <laughs> if this is mm, all, like, you know, because like, you're focusing on your ego your ego is leading you it's ego but I'm, i think it's more like it wants to keep you safe it's okay yeah but it's, it's also <laughs> like it's so much insecurity in this that just is mind-blowing so like for me to stand in front of an audience of 30,000 people and sing is like okay like maybe 30,000 so many that like it doesn't matter anymore but let's say if I am to stand in front of an audience of 100 people I can imagine that emotionally this is actually super challenging so I'm curious how do you deal with this this challenge one thing is training mm how to deal with it because uh, I remember there were times when I was younger when I could feel hmm, I wouldn't call it a stage fright it was some kind of fright but then performance by performance nobody taught me how to deal with it 
I was figuring out ways how to deal with it. Because now we have this, how is it? It's kind of like a fashion for coaches, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you can have a stage fright coach. <laughs> you can have a coach for everything. <laughs> so with how am I able to do this? First of all, preparation. Preparation plays the biggest part, one of the biggest parts. Because once I know what I'm doing in every second of every piece because i've rehearsed it million times so from the technical part from the emotional part i've rehearsed it i know how music goes i know about the lyrics but i know also where are the crescendos minuendos what's happening like everywhere what are those little bits and pieces how do i have to maneuver everything once all of this is out of the way because i've got this then I'm thinking how awesome it is that I can actually perform in front of those people and I can be a vessel. That's what really fires me up. The moment before going on the Carnegie Hall stage the first time was a moment when I felt the fear because, you know, great stars perform on that stage. So you can feel that kind of, whoa, <laughs> responsibility, let's say. But I love power posing uh, right before I go uh, on the stage. I respect uh, believers or not. For me, laying it to the hands of God, it helps me. And I experience, I call this Holy Spirit to take over. I remember second time when I was going on Carnegie Hall stage, it's better for me to be nervous a few days before the performance because then I know it's going to ease off. <laughs> <laughs> And if it doesn't, then I will make it easy because I know how to. But I like it when I feel those pins and needles a few days before. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's the right time to have it. <laughs> and I remember I was praying about that performance. So it goes well. There was uh, the second time was more around the classical. So I really wanted to nail very little every little technical part in musical theater for me personally the technique is there and it comes so naturally but at the same time the emotional and the way like how much um, freedom you've got it's different comparing to the classical so before the classical i prayed a lot so it went well and i remember there was this part about simon going through water and when he doubted he soaked he started drowning and then jesus told him that you of little faith and this whole sequence of the bible this fragment came to me when i was scared it was kind of echoing in my head and um i felt like God was trying to tell me, as long as your focus is on me, you're good. I know that if somebody doesn't believe, it might be hard for them to listen to it. But I cannot be unfaithful and say, I did this, 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 this and that. Of course, I've done all of those things. But apart from all of those things, when I was entering the stage, my focus was on God. When you're talking about that, I remember... Some years ago, I read a book by Marianne Williamson, which is called Return to Love. Mm -hmm. And uh, she is saying a lot of things that you are saying right now. And she says that, of course, like some people who are religious, they find this strength in their belief. 
others who are not necessarily believing, she said that you can actually say to yourself that you open yourself for the world. So mm -hmm. you are there not, like you said before, from your ego place, but you are there for those people, for the audience. And this mm -hmm. is the interesting thing, because then you kind of become not very important in this whole equation of what's mm -hmm. going on. And I think that in a way, what you're saying sounds very similar to what Marianne Williamson was writing in that book. And the interesting story there was that apparently she went through a number of circles in her life where she tried to say, world, please help me be like this, but I'm going to do it my way. <laughs> and of course, mm -hmm. it always failed. And then when she failed once and the second time and the third time and the fourth and the fifth and the tenth and the twentieth and the fiftieth, she said, okay, like, I don't know how to do it. Please tell me how to do it. And suddenly things started happening. So this is this interesting thing, what you are talking about, that in a way, sometimes we don't trust the technique, as I would say, and all the training that you did before. So you're still trying to correct it and be present in applying it into singing. While if you're there and you trust yourself and you trust the world, God, whoever you, you believe in, that they will make it happen, then suddenly, very interestingly, these things actually happen, right? Uh, when you said opening myself up to the world. That's also something that helps me take the stress out of me. It's such a pleasure for me to perform. That was something that I said. And that was like opening myself up to the world because in the moment when I go out on the stage, I feel I get to do what I love for all of those people. Like I get to share love with them in every piece it's a different kind of love because not some pieces are uh, sad and some are happy and, and love has different faces but yeah once i don't think about myself i don't want to focus on me tripping on the stage or whatever else because i've got a long dress and a very high 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 heels <laughs> <laughs> that's not something i want to focus on so maybe one of the things that are happening in one's head before going on stage and shouldn't is focusing on all the wrong things because once you focus on it's literally like the moment before i go on the stage i feel like this you know you have a building peak stage right that's really cool to pump yourself up on the stage i mean for me the prayer is the last thing before i go And there are things before the prayer that I do that pump me, like the power pose, for example. And it's like you hold the bird to fly and you hold it and it feels that in a moment it's just going to fly. <laughs> and that's the moment when I go on the stage, I'm like, yes, you know, you can feel it. The bird can see like in a moment they will just let me free. In uh, Sweeney, so there is this line, uh, Joanna sings, if I cannot fly, let me sing. You said something that triggered another thought in me, which is one of our guests in the season, Brent Dampier, he is talking about emotional intelligence. Mm. And uh, he runs a course which is called EQ Method. I just uh, went through this. And one of the exercises that we got was that we were supposed to ask each other, what do you want to do? So that was the question. And the other person was supposed to answer. And I remember when I was asked that question, I had this sudden feeling 
that it's too boasting to say what I want. That, mm-hmm. you know, like if I say it, it's gonna be like I'm too greedy. Yeah, that's the programming. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. But when, when you were talking about going on stage and performing, and you said that you said to yourself that you love performing. This is exactly yeah. that, because once you say it out loud, I want to perform because I love it, suddenly this hurdle of having this pre-programming is completely broken, right? Yeah, unprogramming is also something that I deal with now. <laughs> <laughs> I love COVID. I mean, it sounds so contradictory, and I know there is all of the bad things, obviously, but if I try to see the good in this situation is that there is time It's like the spring break for cleaning up. <laughs> yes, the theaters are mostly closed and I changed the places where I live, but I don't want to go in that direction. I can do what I can and I can accept what I can't at the moment. What I can is focusing on me even more and growth beautiful. But you can grow only so far if you didn't heal. When you're in the process of healing, you're seeing the programming you have been put into. And you're like, oh, that, I don't want that. No, no, thank you. Oh, that, no, 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 that doesn't serve me well. <laughs> no. Oh, oh, that, no, 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 no. So I'm like, think every part of that doesn't serve me. And it's like, oh, it's like with Shrek and Onion. Like, I feel <laughs> like I'm being peeled off one, one by one by one. And inside there is this very vulnerable inner child that... I feel that once I can peel off all the layers, this bravery, transparency, and honesty, that's something that's going to create so much good change that I really want to go through that process. It's not easy. (laughs) (laughs) It's tough. It's been tough. And well, we shall see whether you'll cut it, but I've been through depression. And it's so much better now. Like me agreeing for this interview is coming out of the depression because wow. I've said no to so many interviews over the past few years because I knew that me going out, you can read me from my face. Like I'm like an open book. So mm-hmm. if I go with what I feel there, you can see it here. Mm-hmm. And recently I did a performance and the performance was great. But in the photos backstage, When I got the photos from like other cameras, I was like, wow, this pain in my eyes, what's that? And then when I smiled, if it wasn't a smile from within, I could also tell that was a fake smile. So all of those things I could tell. And I was like, there is either this honest, beautiful smile from the joy from within that is healthy, that is here, that is chosen. Or no smile. And it's okay not to smile as well. So we shall see whether we will record that. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds like a piece that stays. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Unless you decide that we should cut it out. Yes. Yeah, well, we shall see where I am. You say about yourself that you are hypersensitive, right? Mm -hmm. Yet our world is not quite a safe place for people who are highly sensitive? Not yet. It's changing. That's true. But how do you approach it? <laughs> how 
do I do with it? You mean? <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> um, I'm highly, highly sensitive and I own it now. When I was younger, I was sure that everybody's like this. And then when I started discovering through different sources that people are different, I was like, whoa, so you can tell something to that person and it's just going to be like a water of duck. Oh, <laughs> it's not happening to me. <laughs> so also training myself to choose to listen to the voice within. Because nobody can make you feel anything if you don't allow them. I remember two things from Socrates that I repeat often. One is the three C's and the other one is the present story. So the present story is that the student comes to Socrates like, Socrates, Socrates, you have a present on your door. Why didn't you like bring it in and open? And Socrates is like calm and cool and everything. He's like, just leave it there. It's okay. It's just there at the entrance. I'm cool with that present. But Socrates is like, you don't open it. No. I'm good. As long as I don't open it, it doesn't do anything to me. It's just going to stay there. It's, it's told in my way. Obviously, that story, because it was like longer <laughs> and bigger and everything. So that's my interpretation of that story that suits me. And it reminds me every time I think of someone doing passive aggression, it doesn't have to be direct. And then I feel that and I'm like, wait, take a deep breath. You don't have to take the present. It's all good. <laughs> it changes. It changes the, the, the whole picture for me. And, and that's like one of the many things that I have been working through and finding the tools that work for me as a very highly sensitive person. One of the other ones is stating your own opinion and then having it questioned. That's not an argument yet. But that was something when I was younger, I was super afraid of. And the more I imagine this glass between me and that person, and the more I could see the emotions of that person, because sometimes they're getting irritated, getting agitated, like everything that's pumping them up. When I have this glass between us and I take a deep breath, I'm grounded. I'm like, whoa, this is such a force. <laughs> this is like, I feel powerful in a good way. I feel like, I can help you to go out of whatever you're dealing with. And I can see like as a third person, as I'm talking to you, I can see you're struggling with this and that. And not always people want me to help. So I can just ask, do you want my advice? And if they won't, then I can give them the advice. But if they don't, I can just think because not everybody's ready. That's like a another ocean subject. <laughs> to start well to wrap it up for a highly sensitive person to live in this world we've got to learn the tools that work for us by being open to be hurt by searching within because sometimes we want to know so much from the outside world when all the answers are within I just realized how this story that you mentioned about Socrates and the gift, yeah. how it's important these days when many people see a notification on their phone, they immediately get drawn into checking, mm. you know, what's this, what's that. It's a huge lesson there. All of my notifications are turned off. I'm not a Pavlov's dog. Yeah. I react on every notification that comes yeah. my way. 
I don't know if you have this impression, but I have an impression that once I switched my notification off, my day got longer and my attention got deeper. <laughs> You're right. And we are addicted to the hormones that are released. So we are getting addicted. And some of us can feel that we are getting addicted, but some of us cannot. Mm. So the addictions of 21st century is actually not alcohol or drugs or whatever that we know that, okay, too much of alcohol to drugs, like at all. <laughs> <laughs> but, but that's not something that we should be scared of. We should be scared of what most of us don't see as an addiction. Mm. And then yet when you take a phone of a young person, what are the results of a child who doesn't have a phone? Even like toddlers who are taught that they can watch uh, whatever cartoons, whatever they do on their parents' iPads or iPhones, and you take it away from them, how more intensely irritated they are comparing them to when we were their age. It sounds old. <laughs> <laughs> oh, But everybody you know I mean. was their age who is alive. So, you know. <laughs> yeah. It's a big subject with these notifications. But what I've decided to do, also the uh, social media detox was something that I did for, uh, I think that was three months. I did an announcement in 2019 from October to December, three months with no social media. I think I said to them that I will check my messenger and just reply for the messages once in a week. I don't remember exactly, so I don't want to lie. But I recorded a short video where I said that I'm going off social media for three months and I'm going to be checking the messenger and whatever. And if you can contact me via my email, I'm going to appreciate that much more. It changed my life. Honestly, how much more time you've got You can rethink your life. And um, when I came back, I've decided definitely I will turn off my notifications and I will decide when I go to check my social media. There is this thing that you can limit your time on your iPhone. So I usually have it set, let's say, um, 10 or 11 p.m. to like 10 or 9 a.m. So... I can do my whole morning routine before I touch social media. And if for some reason my finger goes to the social media, it asks you, do you want to switch it off for a minute or 15 minutes? Or... <laughs> And this question helps me realize, oh, what am I doing? Well, why am I here? I don't want to be here. It's not time for social media yet. <laughs> I've been there two hours with myself. <laughs> start the day uh, well so the day doesn't run me right yeah i'm running the day which yeah. kind of connects to the fact that you said that you want to be in a driver's seat of your own life rather than to have others mm. being in a driver's seat what i'm really curious about you are a singer so i can imagine that your morning also. routine <laughs> is around singing so i'm curious what your morning routine is all about mm. it's not only about singing It's setting myself up for the day. We're not only our body. We're not only our minds. We are holistic. Mind, body, spirit. It's got to have integrity. And in my morning routine, all the stuff I do helps me to just align better. And if I know that there's going to be somebody around me in the morning, if I move places or whatever, people that don't know that just don't talk to me in the morning. 
I'm not in the outside yet. I'm in the inside. And if I meet someone on the way, whatever, to the kitchen or somewhere, I'm in my morning routine. And it may sound crazy, but all of the things that I do, they help me to be grounded. And then when I face the world, I am conscious because normally we run the program that we have been programmed 95% of our behavior and the 5% is only the conscious behavior. So if you can consciously start your day with everything, then obviously building the routine will help you go on autopilot, but that's the autopilot that you decided about. Uh, So that's a different autopilot. So there are different things that I'm doing. Can you share some of them? So I have the time for myself. Very powerful time that is between the time that you wake up completely. It's the, I think these brain waves are called theta. It's a theta state that is very powerful. So this state, I could say it's even to be protected. Like if you are hearing news in this state, they soak to you like to a child from zero to eight. You're being soaked by that news. Don't do it. That's the worst. So that's the state for creating most beauty in my life. Me as a believer, true believer, not a blind believer. It's a difference. I pray, but also I listen. Gratitude is something big. But gratitude aligned with the belief. I did that before with sending love to others, praying for others, or thinking warm thoughts about others. So yes, I see what is working for me to build the integrity every day to to, to ground myself. So going from the spiritual, meaning in my opinion, is like prayer, contemplation, uh, meditation, like time with me and God. That's the first thing. Body, that's about exercise, stretching, and also in the stretching, being in connection. So not just doing it for the sake of doing it, but doing it and having real joy, doing it and feeling the breath going through you and actually stretching your body. I finished my exercise with vocal warm-up because by that time it's like around 10 and voice likes later time. And it's also checking up with myself, right? Checking up with my voice, checking up with my body, with my spiritual, with my mind. What do I need today? So starting from how do I feel? You know, we remember to take a shower and uh, women put on a makeup. But I hope that more and more of us remember to put on like an inside shower and an inside makeup because I feel like more and more of us is conscious about this need of actually preparing from the inside out. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Kasia, you've done so many courageous things in your life, but if you were to Mm. look at everything that you've done, what was the most daring thing that you did? Mm, Moving to New York, not having anyone there. That was courageous. Mm, Moving to Cornwall, not having anyone there, meaning like I moved to Cornwall and I had four days to figure out where I'm going to be living. (laughs) Yeah, that was interesting. Second time I was there. And, you know, with boyfriends and ex-boyfriends, so I didn't actually have... (laughs) 
anyone to. <laughs> yeah, but I figured it out. I always start with that kind of approach of, I'm going to figure it out. So if I do anything new in life, I don't like this scarcity flavor. Mm -hmm. I like this flavor of, yeah, bring it on. I can do it. (laughs) (laughs) And nine out of 10, where there is a way. I mean, singing in Carnegie Hall. (laughs) (laughs) All of the times when I'd approach someone that I would want to get the knowledge from. Sometimes those people would be like really big people. Others would tell me, you've got to take this procedure path. Mm. Like you've got to communicate with that person, to go to that person, to go to that person. And maybe after like two years, you're going to get to that person. And me doing that is like, hi, I want to speak with you. (laughs) (laughs) Or mailing with all the respect. Obviously, I would love to because some of those people are like super amazing, right? All of them, actually. (laughs) So meeting the great Oprah stars that I always wanted to speak with. I remember when I was younger, I could wait for them like three days, meaning I knew that they had rehearsal and I would come to the rehearsal to the stage door, not a stalker, but being like, I would I would wait at the stage door three days, I think, in a row. And on the third day, Renee Fleming passed me by. By the third day, everybody knew me. And everybody <laughs> were like, oh, hi, la, la, you know? So we were chatting and she passed and we were chatting. And I was like, wait, Renee? <laughs> and then I was like, shit, I, I mean... <laughs> That, you're gonna cut that. But I was like, I just called her by her name and she's like Rene Fleming. I was much younger and I feel that was really cool that I had the bravery to reach out, to have these few words, to ask for these advice that I really needed from the top people. And that was with everything. It was with singing. It was with one of the great teachers that I had a great pleasure to be taught by, who I tried to approach him so many times and he would share his knowledge, but then I would sing that song and he would come to me and congratulate me. And it was like, the bond was made. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I kind of lived with that daring theme in life. And I want to live by it because I don't want to have any regrets. I know that the things that are happening to us teach us lessons. And Mm. as long as I see the lesson, and I usually, when I don't see it, I'm like, God, please, I know that this sucks and I need that lesson. So just tell me what's that lesson so I can take the lesson and move on. (laughs) (laughs) You know, those are the bad moments. And still I choose to dare. There's been plenty of these moments. Like, for example, me finding a place in London. I was going to church. And I am a smiley person, uh, maybe a bit more serious nowadays. But then in London, I remember I was smiling, going through that street to the church, smiling. And this guy, older gentleman, he stopped me and, and he asked me, you're not from here. And we started chatting. And that's also being brave. I mean, it was during the day and this older gentleman looked lovely. And so we started chatting. And then within that chatting, I told him that I'm actually looking for an apartment. And see, from the perspective of scarcity, somebody would say, oh my God, so now she will go to his house and this is so super dangerous. And how could she do that? 
Well, I didn't walk into the house. That's the first thing. But I did go close to the house. And then his wife came out and we had a chat. And I ended up staying with them. And that was marvelous because they had a piano also. (laughs) And, And they were wonderful people. And I lived in the house in London, which with singing is a big plus advantage. Yeah, that's one of the different kinds of daring. The 30,000 people, that was daring. I felt I had to give back. And I remember I asked for the mic and I asked the head of the foundation who sponsored that prosthesis. I said, what I do is singing and that's what I find I can most thank you with. Can I sing for you? And because I sang for her and for the people around me with different disabilities, I focused on giving them love. And I didn't feel for a second that I sing in front of the 30,000 or whatever, you know? Yeah. I mean, there, there was around 30. And then when I was going off the stage, one of the girls, she had the first prize. She came to me. I sang I Feel Pretty because that was the first thing that came to my mind from West Side Story. And I I really wanted the people that were with me on the stage to feel whole, complete and pretty from the inside out. And this girl from the first prize, she came to me very closely and she said, like, I don't know how you did it, but you really made me feel pretty. Oh, I didn't say that. Like, nobody knew that was my intention. But she's saying that I was just like, oh, right. Now the temperature is rising. (laughs) (laughs) My eyes are sweating. (laughs) Wow. But no, honestly, that was so daring. Daring in different ways in your life. So dare. Yeah. Kasia, I know that you are a big fan of Brenna Brown. As well. (laughs) (laughs) Oprah Winfrey, Brenna Brown, Tony Robbins, Les Brown. (laughs) There is like the whole list of people. I mean, apart from obviously my artistic side with uh, Joyce Donato, Rene Fleming. But if you were to recommend one book to people who listen to you and they think like, oh my gosh, she's so brave and she's so daring. How can I get a little bit of it? What would be the book? Mm. Well, that's going to be my book. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) When is it coming out? (laughs) So you'll find me on at Katarzyna Santi. (laughs) And look for the uh, upcoming news on the book. Uh, But seriously, (laughs) uh, one day, one day I'm going to write a book. (laughs) But um, before I write my book, um, let me think. Because it's hard to recommend one thing when most of the things that I'm talking about, they're from within. I have not picked up one book and decided I'm going to live according to that book and it's going to be okay. Maybe it could be an inspiration, could be, you know, a fiction. It's a mixture of different books uh, that speak to me. One of the books by Brenna Brown, The Gifts of Imperfection, was great, but it's not covering the whole thing started reading Daring Greatly, by the way, so (laughs) so I can tell you how it's going to be. Untamed by Glennon Doyle was something that it was like reminding me. It was really nice. The Path Made Clear by Oprah Winfrey was also reminding me. 
So there was a lot of that kind of literature that I was listening to because I love Audible. Commercial. You <laughs> uh, can do I, this, I, no problem. I love listening to books. And so there is a mixture of books, but most of the time they are reminders. They would be nothing if I couldn't be able to connect with myself because mm. I wouldn't feel that reminder. So connecting with myself and remembering what we all know, because we are all one. Ego is dividing us, but nothing more, really. Kasia, thank you so much. So lovely talking to you again. Thank you for having me. It was a great pleasure and so much fun. So, Thank you for listening to this episode of the Catching the Next Wave podcast. We would love to hear from you on Twitter at Malka6 and at DLS6. You can find more details on www.catchingthenextwavepodcast.com.